Matthew 9, 9-17. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed." But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. The word of the Lord. Let's pray that God's spirit would help us to understand his word. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word that it is sharper than a two-edged sword piercing. Piercing deep into the heart and exposing our sin and our need for your grace and exposing the truth of the gospel, that that Jesus is our great physician who has come to heal us. And so we pray now that as we read and meditate on our word, you would pierce us so that you can heal us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are studying the book of Matthew this spring, looking at the life of Jesus. And if you look at the book of Matthew, you'll notice that the way Matthew writes his gospel is that it alternates between these teaching blocks of Jesus and then stories from Jesus' life. And so uh, the first major teaching block is the Sermon on the Mount. And then after that, there's a story of healings, a series of healings that Matthew records. Now, right now, we're in the middle of those healings. And the healings, I say healings, the miracles that he does show Jesus' power and his authority. And so we've been looking at those for a number of weeks. And as you look at them, you, you come to this spot here, the calling of Matthew and this, this controversy and these questions. And at first glance, you kind of think to yourself, wow, like what, what is Matthew doing? This seems a little out of place, right? There's no, there's no miracle here. There's no healing here, right? We, we've seen Jesus uh, he cleanse a leper. We've seen him stop a storm. We've seen him raise people who are paralyzed and offer the forgiveness of sins. And now... We get to Matthew, and it's like, oh, he just walks by this tax collector and says, follow me. But if you look deeper at the story, and if you look at the whole uh, story of Christian salvation from the Bible, what you realize is that Matthew, probably the, the person who wrote the gospel of Matthew, 
is showing you yet another miracle, and that is the miracle of salvation, right? That God's calling on our lives, when he calls us to follow him and we actually begin to follow him, it's not a, just a natural work of the flesh. It is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that anybody follows Jesus. And, and one of the interesting things that you see when you look at Jesus calling people to follow him is they're all kind of different in the details, right? You think about the paralytic that we talked about last week, right? This, this paralytic, him and his friends come to see Jesus while Jesus is teaching. He's paralyzed on a mat. They lower him in front of Jesus and Jesus looks at him. And the first thing he says is not, you're healed. It's man, your sins are forgiven. And then he heals the man. And then the man gets up and walks away. Well, that's, that's interesting, Jesus. But then you, you look at the story of Matthew, and it's very, very different. Matthew's a tax collector. What do we about tax collectors, right? They were the IRS of Jesus' day. They were not the good guys. They were the bad guys. They, they worked for the Romans, and they sat at their tax booth. And as people would pass by, they would collect the taxes for them. But they would always add a little on top. So you had to pay extra. And they would take that extra for themselves. So they were liars. They were thieves. They were despised. They didn't have friends. Interesting parallel. You have this paralytic man who's paralyzed, who has a whole group of friends bringing him to Jesus. And you have Matthew, this tax collector, who's probably friendless. And what does Jesus do? He walks by him. The despised, liar, thief, cheat and says, follow me. And what does the tax collector do? He gets up and he follows Jesus. He becomes a disciple of Christ. He hosts Jesus for a meal. Uh, eventually he goes from being someone who's stealing from people to feeding people fish and bread that Jesus has broken. He's, he's sent out by Jesus to heal people and bless them. His life is totally transformed. The details are very different, but the power is the same. Uh, when I was thinking about this, it made me think about uh, the difference between, uh, you know, somebody's calling like C.S. Lewis and my calling. C.S. Lewis was a tutor and lecturer at Oxford. He called himself a happy atheist. And yet through friendships with guys like J.R. Tolkien, he began a long, slow conversion process where he describes himself as the most reluctant convert in all of England. And eventually he came to realize that the Christian worldview was the most logical explanation for life. But, the, but things didn't change until one day he got in a motorcycle with his uh, brother. There's a motorcycle, there's a sidecar. And C.S. Lewis says that he got into the sidecar, an atheist. And as he drove down the road, he was so overwhelmed with the glory of creation and God's ride, that he got out of the sidecar a believer in Jesus Christ. Like that, he took up his cross and followed Jesus. <laughs> My own conversion couldn't be further from that. <laughs> a country boy from Coweta, Oklahoma, average in every way. And yet, uh, 
you know, his family did not take him to church, and yet there was, there was something drawing him to Jesus, and he would ask his grandma to take him to church. And then as he got into high school, he, he was uh, enamored by the pleasures of the world. And so he would spend Friday and Saturday pursuing those pleasures. And yet on Sunday morning, there was something that was drawing him to Jesus, a, a grace that was, that was pulling him in to, to go to church and to worship on Sundays. Uh, there were times when he, for, for inexplicable reasons, just wanted to read the Bible and wanted to draw near to Jesus. And every time he would fall away, somehow he would find himself back in the church. Uh, our callings all look different. What does your calling look like? How has God called you to himself? They all look different in the details, but there's one thing that they have in common, and that is the powerful work of the Holy Spirit that transforms us and makes us a new creation. Right? The apostle Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Right? A Christian calling is a miraculous transformative work of the spirit that takes something that is old and makes it a new creation and transforms it into something new. Christian calling involves a death and a resurrection, an entirely new way of being human. And what Matthew shows us in the rest of this passage after his calling is that Jesus, when he calls us into this Christian calling, he calls us to follow him into a new community, a new motivation, and new habits. That's how you know when you've got a Christian calling, is you follow Jesus into a new community, into a new motivation, into new habits. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Kids, I want you to listen for a story about a garage sale. Story about a garage sale. First thing we see is that Matthew follows Jesus into this new community, right? Jesus calls him and says, follow me. And then, then they go to a dinner party. And Luke tells us that Matthew is the one who threw the dinner party. And who do we have at this dinner party, right? We have tax collectors and sinners. And eventually we have Pharisees who have disciples, uh, John's disciples showing up and eating together. And this is an intimate intimate moment. To, to eat a meal in somebody's home in Jesus' day was the most, one of the most intimate things you could do. It was to say, you're my friend. You're, you're, you're so close. You're a part of my family, right? Now, I, I think I eat with people all the time. <laughs> I eat at restaurants. I eat at coffee shops. I eat with many of you. But I know it's one thing to eat with someone at a restaurant. It's an entirely different thing to be in somebody's home. If somebody invites you in their home, it's a, it's a vulnerable thing. It's an intimate thing, right? It's special. And so this new community is a community that's intimate. It's a community that's diverse. You've got these disciples that were fishermen, and now they're Jesus' spiritual apprentices. You've got this tax collector who was hated despised, rejected, a liar, a thief, a cheat. And now he's serving food to the Lord of the universe. 
You've got these Pharisees who are serious about Scripture. They're the moral examples. And you've got the sinners who were the immoral people that everybody would have said, "Uh, you don't want to hang out with them. And then you've got John the Baptist's disciples who are in this weird mix of like, I follow John, but who's this Jesus guy? But John told me about Jesus. So they're kind of confused, right? And all these people come together. It's a diverse community. They're different religiously, socially, economically. And when Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us into a diverse community. He calls us into an intimate community. And he calls us to a community that's centered around Jesus, right? Who is at the center of this community? It's Jesus the Lord of the universe, a friend and savior of sinners. Now, community is a buzzword right now, right? People talk about community all the time. There's all different types of communities, right? And, and you, you know, communities center around hobbies and activities that you might be a part of the biker community or a music community or an exercise community or a political community. Communities are always about something. And we have those communities because we're created for community, Right? The Christian community is about Jesus. All these people gathered around Jesus. It is intimate, it is diverse, and it is Christian because it's about Jesus. He's at the center of it. And so what Matthew's showing us is that when we follow Jesus, we follow him into a new community that's intimate, diverse, and Christ-centered. And you know you've been called into his community. You know you're following Jesus when you find yourself in those places. And when you find yourself desiring to be around those people and to be with Jesus intimately. He's, he's, he's called you into that deep, intimate fellowship because you're his and he loves you. Um, I heard a story recently about uh, a family garage sale. And this family, like lots of families, they were having a garage sale. And so... In the garage sale, they were putting out lots of old stuff that they didn't want. And, and so they had a, a, you know, they had a bunch of leftover dolls. You know, they had a little girl. She had lots of dolls. You know, she didn't really play with those dolls anymore. She didn't really need them. They were old used dolls. And so they took the dolls and they put them out the, um, in the garage sale and they put a for sale sign on them. And, you know, you, know, you, you start garage sales early, Right. So the garage sale starts early and later on this little little girl wakes up and she walks outside and she sees the garage sale and to her horror, she sees that all of her old dolls are for sale. And she goes to her mother and says, mom, why are my dolls for sale? She says, well, sweetie, you don't, you don't play with them anymore. They're dirty. They're used. Like, we're just going to, we're just going to go ahead and sell them. She said, no, you can't sell my dolls. And so, well, yeah, honey, we, like, we're going to sell your dolls, okay? Like, they're, they're junk. Like, this is time to sell them. And she says, no, you are not going to sell my dolls. So she runs back inside. She grabs all her own money. She comes back out. She grabs the dolls. She takes them to the little table where you pay. And she says, I want to buy all these dolls back. She buys all her dolls. She takes them inside. And what does she do? She has a tea party with her dolls. She loved those dolls. She bought those dolls. She brought them into intimate community with her. That's what Jesus has done with us. He has sought us and bought us and called us into a new community of people that gather intimately around him and worship and serve him. So the first thing he does is following him creates this new community. And then following him gives us a new motivation. 
right? If you look at verses 11 through 13, you see that the Pharisees come up. Maybe they're invited to the meal. Maybe they walk by and they see Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners. And they have a question. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But this is actually a logical question. Like the Pharisees, you know, they're, they're the bad guys in scripture and they oftentimes don't get it right, but they actually have a legitimate question here. If you look at the Old Testament, you see that, that there, there's these laws that show that there are some things that are clean and there are some things that are unclean. And if you read Psalms and Proverbs, you see there's lots of teachings about not associating with the wicked that don't follow God's law and staying with the people of God who follow God's law. And if you look, even in the New Testament, you see the disciples really struggle with this Jew and Gentile difference of clean and unclean, and how do we relate to each other? And so the Pharisees are actually asking a really good question right now. They're saying, hey, how can, your, how can you and your disciples associate with these tax collectors and sinners? And so what Jesus does is he gives them a very gracious answer. And he gives them a series of, uh, of contrasts that show that Jesus's ministry is not what they thought it was going to be, right? He contrasts the sick and the healthy. And he says, I came for the sick because the healthy don't need a doctor. He says, he came for the sinners, not for the righteous because they don't need me. And he says, I came to show mercy, not to demand more sacrifices, what he's showing is the Pharisees missed the forest or the trees in the Old Testament. They were so caught up in looking at all the scruples of the law and the sacrifices that they missed that the whole Old Testament shows that no one is righteous. No, not one. That none of the sacrifices will fully and finally atone for their sins. And when you get to the prophets, you start seeing this this prophecy that God is going to desire and pursue and show something else, and that is mercy. And this, uh, he, he, Jesus summarizes it here that says, um, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, right? Well, that's kind of confusing because the whole Old Testament is filled with sacrifices. What is he saying? He's saying at some point, there's going to come a day where the sacrifices are going to be no more. Because the ultimate sacrifice has come. And that ultimate sacrifice is Jesus, right? That he came and he was our sacrifice to stop the Old Testament sacrifices. That in him, God was showing us mercy. That he wasn't treating us as our sins deserve, but he was being merciful to us. And he's saying, once you see that in the Old Testament, and once you embrace that in me, then you show mercy because you've been shown mercy. See, the Pharisees missed it. What they didn't realize was that when Jesus came to heal the paralytic, he was saying, you are paralyzed, but I'm going to raise you up. When Jesus cleansed the leper, he was saying, you're unclean, but I am going to cleanse you. When Jesus called Matthew, he said, you're a sinner and you're unrighteous, but I am going to make you righteous. Jesus, in very personal, powerful way, is showing what Paul tells us, and that is that God, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of Christ, that God transforms us by his grace, 
that it's not by our works that we're saved, but by the mercy of God. And we experience God's mercy, we express God's mercy to others. And that becomes the desire of our heart. That, that, that he's calling the Pharisees to a new motivation. He's saying, don't be motivated by all the scruples of the law and the sacrifices. Don't miss the forest for the trees. All the law is driving you to mercy that you're going to find in me. Uh, there's a great example of this in a, in a short story written by Langston Hughes. It's called Thank You, Ma'am. Um, in this story, there's a little boy who tries to steal a woman's purse. And when, when he's trying to steal the purse, she, he tries to run off and she grabs him and she won't let him go. And, but instead of taking him to the police, she takes him home. And before she talks to him, she makes him clean up. She, she makes him clean up. She makes him get freshened up. She makes him get dressed and she sits him down and she begins to talk to him. And she says, now, young man, I want to know, why did you try to steal my purse? And he says, because there's a pair of blue suede shoes that I really want to buy and I didn't have the money for it. So she says, listen, I, I know what it is like to want something. When I was young, I wanted things that I didn't have. And he kind of waited for the but, right? You know the but in the story, like, but... I didn't steal. Well, the but never came. And she says, you thought I was going to say, but didn't you? I have done things that I would not tell you or God. And at that point, she did something surprising. She got up and she made him a meal. She made that meal. She put that meal in front of him. And while he ate that meal, she sat down and she talked to him about her life. She told him her, her story about how she had done things that, that she would never tell him or God, but how she'd experienced grace and mercy. And then she gave him $10 and she said, I want you to go out and I want you to buy your blue suede shoes and don't steal anymore. What did she do? She showed him mercy. And it was the mercy and grace of that meal together that changed that boy. That's what Jesus is showing the, the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the sinners is that it's his mercy that changes us. Look at your life. Look at your calling. What were you when Jesus called you? Where were you when Jesus called you? When it, was it when you were healthy or when you were sick? Was it when you were following God or when you were straying from him? Was it when you were good or was it when you were bad? The mercy of God meets us in times when we don't deserve it. And that's where he calls us. And when you see that, that, that changes your heart. It changes your mind. It changes your relationships. And it changes your habits. So Jesus follow, says, follow me into this new community. Follow me into this new motivation. And follow me into these new habits. And that's what you have in verses 14 and 17. John's disciples come up. And again, they ask a good question, Right? Like, hey, wait a minute. Like, John taught us to fast. The Pharisees are fasting. In the Old Testament, it has all these fasts. And yet, Jesus, you are feasting with these tax collectors and sinners. You know, it, it's interesting. There's very few things it says that Jesus came to do, that Jesus came doing, right? And then one of the things that it says that he came doing that really threw people off is he came eating and drinking. And so John's disciples are like, what, what's going on here, Jesus? Like, why are you fasting all the time? 
And Jesus gives him three metaphors to explain, not fasting all the time, feasting all the time. Jesus gives him three metaphors to explain. The first one is that of a wedding. Now, in, in ancient Near East, a wedding was like a week-long affair. Think a destination wedding, not one-night ceremonies. They would, they would shut the whole you know, community down for a week, and they would eat and drink and feast and celebrate for these weddings. Now, imagine that somebody shows up for the wedding feast, and they're not eating, they're fasting. That would be rude. <laughs> that would be inappropriate. That would be offensive. John told his disciples that Jesus was the bridegroom who came for the bride. He said, Jesus must become more. I must become less. What Jesus is saying here is that he is the bridegroom and that he has come for his bride, which is God's people. And because he has come for God's people, it is appropriate not to fast, but to feast, to celebrate. Then he gives them these other two metaphors of the cloth and the wineskin, right? He's saying, look, guys, you don't, take, you don't take a patch of unshrunk cloth, right? So you've got a tear in your shirt and that shirt's been washed, so it's not gonna, it's not gonna shrink anymore. But you t- if you take new cloth and you sew it on there to patch that hole, what's gonna happen when you wash that shirt? That new piece of cloth is gonna shrink up and it's gonna tear the shirt again. He's saying you can't put old and new together. You've got to have old and old and new and new. And then the same thing with the wineskins. He's saying, look, you've got a wineskin. Think leather bottle of wine, I guess. We use wine bottles, not wineskins. But you've got this this leather bottle that's designed to hold this wine. And if it's old, it's brittle. It's not going to change its shape. So if you put new wine into it, that new wine's going to ferment, it's going to expand, and the old container can't expand to fit the new wine, so it's just going to bust. He's saying you can't have old and old, you've got to have new and new. So what is Jesus saying with these things? He's saying that in his kingdom, in his new creation, you can't have old and new together. New creations have to have new habits. And so what he is giving us is new ways of thinking and new ways of being. He's saying we have this new relationship with Jesus where he is our bridegroom and we're his bride. It is intimate. It is passionate. It is something to celebrate. And so because of that, sometimes we feast. We feast to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. We feast to celebrate what he has done for us. We feast because he is with us through the spirit and we feast to celebrate with those who are celebrating. But sometimes we fast. Jesus says, when the bridegroom leaves, the disciples will fast. And so sometimes we fast because we want Jesus to come again. And sometimes we fast because we see sin in our lives and we want to unite our body and our soul together. And sometimes we fast because there are people who are mourning and we want to mourn with them. But the beauty of the gospel is that it brings us in this relationship of freedom so we can feast and fast as the Spirit leads us. It's not a way to earn our salvation. It's a way to draw intimately to Jesus. So as Jesus calls us into this new calling, he gives us a new community. He gives us a new motivation. And he gives us a new, new habits, a new way to celebrate. And that radically transforms our community. It transforms us. I want to close by just giving you a few, 
a few examples of what this looks like that maybe would encourage you. Um, I heard these, uh, these two at Presbytery this weekend. We were taking communion together, and one of the pastors who was uh, doing communion shared these stories, and he, he said, you know, we don't do altar calls in the Presbyterian church, but we do communion every week, and it's through, through communion that I, I get to hear these stories, and I get to see people transformed and, and, um, and converted. And he, he said, you know, the, it's old tradition, but sometimes God uses this old tradition to change people. And he told the story of a woman who had flown across the country to California to attend a conference on witchcraft. I just let that sink in. Flew across the country to attend a conference on witchcraft. When she was at the bus station, she met a woman there, someone who invited her to a church. She said, hey, you're here why don't you come to my church? And so she goes to this church and is a very liturgical, there's lots of ceremony at this church. She doesn't know what's going on. She later said it was the worst sermon she ever heard in her life. All the preachers like, thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm not the only one. But after the, as part of the worship service, they said the Apostles' Creed. And there's a line in the Apostles' Creed that talks about the forgiveness of sins. And that line, forgiveness of sins, pierced her heart. And so she began studying the Christian doctrine of forgiveness of sins. That led her to Jesus, and that led her to convert from witchcraft to Christianity. God called her out of that to himself, to this old habit, through this new theology of forgiveness. He told another story of a, an elder uh, a ruling elder, like we talked about earlier, who had grown up in the church his entire life, who had been a Christian his entire life, who'd be, you know, ascended to being a ruling elder in the Presbyterian church. And one day during communion, the scales fell off and he realized he had been faking it his entire life. And he came up to his pastor after communion and he said, I've been faking it my entire life. I've been immoral. I've been a liar. I've been a cheater. I've been a thief, I've been a hypocrite, and I need Jesus to save me. And he did. The man went to his wife and repented and was restored. He went to his kids and repented and was restored. And today is walking in the freedom of the gospel because he took his mask off, because he admitted that he was a sinner and he needed Jesus. He admitted that he was sick and he needed a doctor. God, God calls us out of our religiosity and our self-righteousness. He calls us to himself. He calls us to a new way of living. So let me ask you, how is God calling you this morning? What is he calling you into? Where is he calling you to follow him? A lot of us in here, maybe we've been believers our whole lives, and, and we, we know that we're a new creation, and we've been called to Jesus, and he's, maybe he's calling us into not... Um, these new things, but maybe deeper into these things. Maybe he's calling us into a deeper way of fellowship and a deeper motivation and a deeper uh, view of Christian habits. And as we press deeper and deeper into those things, it is how he changes us and forms us. One last story. I heard a story about a pastor who was in college and he was talking about when he was in college, his spiritual growth. And he was saying that 
you know, they had sort of this ritual during the week where they had a Bible study at night. And so what they would do is they would go and they would meet together for 20 minutes to pray. And then they would go to dinner and they would go to Bible study. And he said, you know, the, the dinners, the, the, the prayer, the Bible study were vitally important, but it was that, that meal time with those people that, that shaped him, formed him and transformed his life. God was calling him into a deeper relationship with him through this community. So I pray that God is calling you into a deeper relationship with him through our community, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go to him now and let's pray that God would help us follow him wherever we are into a deeper relationship with him. Let's pray together.